So, today, we're going to talk about Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 18, and, uh, and I'm excited about it because, because we're going to be dealing with a word that for some of us, we don't like. We don't like. We don't like this word. In fact, this word is one of the most difficult things in life to maintain and to keep things all where they're supposed to be at all times. And so the word we're going to talk about this morning is, I can't even say it. I'm going to try it. Balance. Balance. And yeah, some moms and dads just, their heads just sank. And they're like, really? We've got to talk about it. Yeah, I know. I know. Because I've had people come to me before, right? I've had people come to me. I can't stand that word. I've had people come to me before and, and say, hey, listen, you know what you need in your life? More balance. And I look back at them and say, just get behind these, Satan. Okay? I mean, just, just you know, take the plank out of your own eye before. No, um, but, but because the reality is that for so many of us, um, we're struggling in the area of balance. And here's why. And here's why. Here's why. Because, you know, we've all seen that, um, that circus act, right? Anybody ever been to the circus? Anybody ever been to the circus? Okay, I know more of you have been to the circus. Come on now. Come on, we're in church. We're going to have a little bit. There you go. There you go, Jeannie. There you go. You got there. All right. You, is, that where, is that where you found Mike? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mike, I'm so sorry. I'm going to give you some Krispy Kreme donuts after this thing's all over with to make that right, okay? But we've all seen that, that circus act where, um, where, where you've got that clown, right, that starts over here and he, and he starts spinning a plate. Right, he starts spinning a plate, and then he comes over here and he spins a plate. He comes over here and he spins a plate. He comes over here and he spins a plate. He comes over here and spins a plate. He gets over here and spins a plate. By the time he gets over here and gets this plate spinning, he's got to sprint all the way back over here to make sure that one keeps spinning. And we watch that act in the circus, and we're like, how in the world does that happen? One of these plates is going to fall. It's bound to fall. Or we try to figure out the trickery in it, right? Like, is there you know, some sort of magnets up there? And there, there might be. I don't know. I haven't studied it that much, right? But but if we just look at that at surface level, at face value, right, and we see that, we're like, how in the world is that happening? That's crazy. That's ridiculous. How can he keep so many plates spinning at one time, and yet so many of our lives look exactly like that? So many of our lives look exactly like that. We're trying to keep this relationship happy. We're trying to keep that relationship happy. We're trying to keep this job happy. We're trying to keep this job happy. We're trying to keep the family maintained. We're trying to... We're trying to do this. We're trying to have time for this hobby. We just bought this so that we could have some more free time and relaxation time, and it's just collecting dust. And so many of us, we look at that at surface level, at face value, and we think, that's crazy, right? I mean, I mean, the crazy part is that somebody actually makes money, makes a living doing that. I do that every day. try to keep this plate spinning, try to keep that plate spinning, try to keep this plate spinning, and then sprint back over here to make sure this person's okay. Juggling act. And so many of us struggle in the area of balance, trying to keep all the plates spinning. But when it comes to the Christian life, balance is so critical. 
to our lives. Balance is so critical to our lives. One of the passages of Scripture when I got out of college that had a huge impact in my life um, is found in the book of Luke chapter 2. It's verse 52. And this comes after, this comes after, um, you know, Jesus is, is in the temple, right, after three days of, of not being around Mary and Joseph. And, and Jesus is in the temple and he's, he's having conversations. He's asking questions to some of the, 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 the best of the best when it came to religious, you know, speakers and teachers of, of the law, right? He's asking questions. They're asking him questions. The Bible says they're amazed, right, at his wisdom. They're amazed at his knowledge for a, a young man that's 12 years old, about 12 years old at the time. And, 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 and then, and then the, the scriptures, right, which, which this, the conversation that God and I are going to have when we get to heaven if I get to if I get to bring things up like this but I doubt I will but one of the things that I've loved to would love to have more information on is the 18 years then that are dark in the life of Jesus because we see a glimpse of him at 12 in the temple where Mary and Joseph are nowhere to be found. Jesus is, you know, kind of goes kind of goes lost and he's sitting among, you know, these scholars and these teachers of the law having conversations, and he's fitting right in with the conversation at 12 years old with these, no doubt, uh, you know, people that have studied for years and years and years on this stuff, and they're amazed at him. And then we hear nothing until about 30 years old. 18 years of his life where we don't get anything. Like, did, like I just want to know, did Jesus get in trouble? Like, did Mary? No, anyway. But um, moving on. And then Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we pick up. And it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The English Standard Version that we preach from here says this, and, and Jesus increased, right? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And when you think about balance, right? When you think about balance in life, you could think about these four areas. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually, right? Jesus grew in stature. Jesus got buff, right? He grew physically, right? Jesus grew physically. Then, you, then he grew um, in favor with God and man. Jesus grew spiritually. Jesus grew socially, what well-balanced growth, well-balanced health. Because for most of us, if we, look at, if we look at these four categories, we think, wow, okay, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, intellectually, okay, 2. Um, stature, hmm, I, I don't know. Uh, favor with God, favor with man, right? If, we, if we're to put together a, 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 an, an assessment in all four of these areas in our lives on a scale of 1 to 10, most of us, many of us in this room, are doing decently well above a five in two, two, maybe three of these areas. Two, maybe three of these areas. And then in one or two of these areas, we're not doing so well. Under five. Under five. Is that pretty fair? Is that pretty generous? That when it comes to balance, when it comes to, let's just say, these four plates spinning, right? Intellectually, right? Um, growing in wisdom, growing in stature physically, growing in, 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 in favor with God spiritually, growing in favor with man socially, like re relationships and diff different things like that. If we, if we put our scale on a 1 to 10, chances are we're doing well in 
two to maybe three of those areas, and one or two of those areas, we're just really struggling. And it's a balancing act. And the Christian life, this life that we're trying to lead, where we're trying to model after Jesus, becomes a balancing act where we're spinning plates. And Paul in Philippians chapter 2 addresses this. He talks about this. He talks exactly about this. Because what did he talk about last week? We talked about last week in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Jesus, right? And Paul says, Paul says, if there's any comfort of love, any, any unity in the Spirit, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same heart, right? Modeling after Jesus, following the example of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He stepped out of heaven, taking the, the, the taking a human form, being born in the likeness of men and becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross he humbled himself twice we talked about the humility of Jesus last week and Paul is saying in the first part of Philippians chapter 2 follow the example that Jesus has set in living a balanced life here so Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 12 we're going to read it and then we're going to come back and talk through it he says Therefore, right? Therefore. And if you've ever spent two or more minutes with Pastor Russ in the Scriptures and you've come across uh, a therefore, one of the things that, that he always says to me is that whenever we see a therefore in Scripture, we've got to ask what the therefore is there for. You ever, you ever heard that? You ever heard that? Um, if you've spent more than 120 seconds with the great Pastor Russ, then, then you've heard that, right? What's the therefore? Therefore, the therefore is there in this passage in, in verse 12 because Jesus has set this great example. Therefore, how do we follow? How do we follow? How do we follow? Therefore, verse 12, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Get your pen ready. Underline this next phrase. Star it. Highlight it. Whatever you want to do in the Bible there in front of you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to come back and talk about that verse quite a bit. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And then time out. Do you ever have those verses in Scripture where you just feel like God could have left them out? Like God, you just didn't have to go there, right? Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. See what I mean? God could have just left that right out of there. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain." Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So what is Paul getting at here? Three things that I believe he's getting at here that we must balance. And the first is this. There must be a balance between purpose and power. There must be a balance 
between purpose and power. Um, I, was, I was down in the DR a couple weeks ago working on wheelchairs. And when, when they ship these wheelchairs down to the Dominican Republic from uh, Norfolk, Virginia area, there's a big, there's a big uh, shipping container that they put on a boat and they ship down there, right? And, and there's some things that get lost in that shipping container, okay? There's some things that don't come like the wheelchair should come. They're all refurbished. And one of the things that's most difficult to pair up when we're fitting a wheelchair is footrest, Footrest. We can get the wheelchair perfectly fit for a patient and then realize we don't have the right footrest. And so then we go to the mountain of pain that we call it as mechanics down there in the Dominican Republic. If you remember, that's the only week I get to call myself a mechanic all year long is when I'm working on wheelchairs, okay? It's the only thing I'm decent at. You put me under a car, we're going to be in trouble. You put me under a wheelchair, I can manage. All right, And so we go over to this hill of pain where it is basically about a six-foot mound of footrests for wheelchairs. And it's like searching for a needle in a haystack. And this past time, I was down there, and I was done with this wheelchair. We had been working on it for about two, two and a half hours, realized at about an hour and 45 minutes that we didn't have the right footrest. And so my friend Dwayne sends me over to the mound of pain and says, go find footrest. So I found some footrest that were close. Close. Close enough. This is why you don't want me working on your car. Because with a wheelchair, they were close enough. With a car, it's probably a bad day for you, right? And so I go over, and, 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 and you know, I kind of took the wheelchair off to the side because I knew that this was going to need some force, right? And so I placed this, this footrest on, and it lined up initially, but I could not get it to latch. I couldn't get it to latch. And so I'm over there in the corner, yanking on this thing, just trying to get the thing to snap. And so my friend Dwayne, who sent me on this mission, came over to the corner and he placed his, his hand right on my shoulder, right? Just in a real gentle way, as to say, Travis, chill, right? And, uh, and, he, and, he, and he said, hey, let me, let, me just, let me just ask you something. If you get that thing on, how is that family going to get that thing off when they get home? Why, why are you working so hard? And he, he made the executive decision that we were going to start completely over with a brand new wheelchair. But I looked at him and I said, but these should work. <laughs> and he said, they might should work, but they're not going to work. Don't force it. And so I disobeyed that verse of do all things without grumbling and disputing, and I grumbled back to my station, <laughs> thinking, what does that guy know? Um, but we, we moved on. There's a balance between purpose and power. There's a balance between the power right, that's at work, and the purpose that we're trying to achieve. When you have footrest for a wheelchair, you're just trying to get a, literally a foot rest so that people's feet aren't just dangling there. There's a purpose there, but that also has to be removable so that it can be folded up and put into a vehicle. So there's a purpose to those footrests, right? There's a balance between purpose and 
power. To understand what Paul is saying here in verses 12 and 13, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. To understand what Paul's getting at here, we've got to understand what Paul is not getting at here. To understand what he's saying, we've got to understand what he's not saying. What Paul is not saying here in this verse is to work for your salvation. That is one of the biggest misconceptions with this verse. Philippians chapter 2, verses um, 12 and 13. One of the biggest misconceptions that we read here is that I've got to do, I've got to work for my salvation. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This phrase, work out... Right? He's not telling us that we must do something to earn salvation. He's not telling us that we've got to work to be saved. He's referring to how we live out our faith. He's referring to how we live out our faith. The Greek word work out literally means from the New Testament to work to full completion, to be fully complete. Right To be fully complete, to work to completion. So what Paul is saying here is work out your salvation. You know, I love the way that Paul tells Timothy, um, you know, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep progressing. This word refers to uh, working in a mine or in a field where you're constantly digging, where you're constantly cultivating until that mine or that field reaches its full potential. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves here from this verse, the question that we've got to stop and ask ourselves in the various places of our lives is this. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Am I reaching for my full potential in life or am I settling for just average? Am I reaching for my full potential in life or am I settling for the mediocre? Am I reaching for my full potential in life or am I settling? We see that in the number of plates that we have spinning. I was listening to a podcast this week that just really made me stop in my tracks on Wednesday morning. It was a podcast um, called Dad Tired. Dad Tired. And, uh, and so this guy down in Texas, and I don't know, I think he has one or two kids. He doesn't know anything yet, right? <laughs> We've got four we're not dad tired, we're dog tired. Anyway, um, and, 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 and so he was interviewing Bob Goff, which I really like Bob Goff as an author, an author and he's um, putting out another book soon, and so he was interviewing him. And one of the things that Bob Goff said that really made me stop in my tracks Wednesday morning was this. The battle for your family is won in your calendar. The battle for your family is won in your calendar. And so I hit pause just immediately because I'm like, man, that's a huge statement. That's a big statement. I I need to hit pause. I need to process that for a minute because I'm a processor. And so I thought about that and I kind of took that down a a, a path and I'm like, wow, you could say that with anything. The battle for my marriage is one in my calendar. The battle for my, you know, this church is one in in our calendar. The battle for my relationship with with any of you is, is one there. It's one in the discipline of my calendar. And one of the things that Bob Goff continued when, when, he was, when, when he was speaking and I pressed play again was this. He said, therefore, I quit something every Thursday. I was like, whoa. He quit something every Thursday. He was a, law, he was a, he was a partner of a big law firm, about 25 
I had 25 lawyers in this law firm. And he just walked in there one Thursday and said, okay, I'm done. I quit. Literally has never gone back to that law firm. I'm like, wow, okay, let's try that. I'm going to quit something every Sunday. Hey, I just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not that easy for you guys, all right? Um, but, but it really made me stop to think, man, how many plates am I trying to spin here? And the battle for my life, for my heart, is won right here with the amount of plates that I'm trying to spin. Because for every plate that I try to spin, less excellence is found in those other categories. If I'm trying to keep too many things spinning, guess what? I can't strive for excellence. It's average. And so let's play that out. Tomorrow morning, I walk in the girls' room to wake them up, right? Bria and Micah's room, wake them up, knock, I don't knock on the door. I just walk in, you know, I just go in, right? Flip the light on. Hey, girls, wake up. Time to get going. Today, I've got news for you. Daddy is aiming for mediocre. All right? Daddy, I'm not trying to be an awesome dad today. I'm not trying to be a great dad today, so don't, don't go there. Don't go there with me. Today, average will do. All right? So you let me know at the end of the day if I've been an average dad. We don't do that, right? You wake up one morning, you, you, know, you look at your spouse and say, hey, honey, today's mediocre day. Saturday might be excellence day, but today is mediocre day. So just so you don't get your expectations too high. I've got some other plates spinning, right? How's that going to work out? But how many times do we encounter God that way? God, look at everything I've got going on. So, so today is not an excellent day. Today is, a, is an average day or maybe a, a less than average day. And you'll be okay with that, right? Because, you know, because you know, the, the all, all, you know, you, you'll be okay with that, right? Because you're God, right? You get it. You see everything that I've got to deal with. And he's up there saying, well, what if you put me at the center of everything you've got to deal with? World. Hmm. You see where that goes? You see where that goes? And so how much value are we placing in excellence? How much value are we placing in it? When God is speaking here through Paul and he says, when he says working in you, when he says working in you, work out your own salvation for it is God who works in you. That working in you is literally a word for energizing. It is God that gives you the energy to do what He's called you to do for Him. So, so when he says there, when he says there, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Someone said that there are three types of people in this world. Three types of people in this world. Those who make things happen. Those who sit and watch things happen. Those who wonder what's happening. Those who make things happen. Those who sit and watch things happen. Those who wonder what's happening. And I believe in this verse here, in this verse here, God desires, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His 
good pleasure. He wants us to be those people. He wants to be a church, the church, that makes things happen. We'll get more to that in our second point. Because He's at work to do His good purpose. It's His pleasure, not ours. It's His will, not ours. It's His glory, not ours. And that's what makes life meaningful, purposeful here. Because it's purpose over power. But there's a potential conflict since most of us prefer to have things go our way. And that's because of our attitude. One more thing before we move on. Because we've got to make this point. Work out your what? Own. Own. Say it with me. Own. One more time. Own. Your own salvation. See, God has not called me to be some cheap imitation of Russ. God's not called Russ to be some cheap imitation of me. If you ever hang out with us, we are completely different, except when we're talking about basketball. For the most part. For the most part. Or sports. I guess, I guess sports in general. We, we typically agree mostly on most, most... Anyway, God has not called me to be some cheap imitation of Him. God has not called Him to be some cheap imitation of me. God has not called you to, to imitate me. God has not called you to be me. God has not called you to be the person next to you. God has not called you to be Dylan up here who can sing and play guitar and just makes all the, all the rest of us angry every Sunday morning. right? God has not called you to be Jeff who can, you know, or, or, or any of these guys up here that can do this stuff and just make us want to throw tomatoes every single Sunday morning at all of them. Um, you know, God's not called... Sorry, that was a little too real, maybe. Um, God's not called us to that. God's called us to work out our own salvation. And yet, so many of us walk in Sunday after Sunday, day after day, walk through life and say, man, if I could just be Herb. If I could just have a, a prayer life like Lois. If I could just have the compassion and the words to say like Rick Oshner, he just always knows what to say in every moment. If I could only be Rick, God hasn't called me to be Rick. God hasn't called me to be Rick. God hasn't called Rick to be me. God hasn't called me to be anybody else. But we do this to each other, don't we? One of the things that I believe One of the things that I believe is hurting us the most in the church today, and it's something that I believe the, Philippi, the church at Philippi dealt with because Paul just continues to, to drive this point home throughout the end, especially in chapter 4 where he calls out conflict by name. But one of the things I believe is hurting us most today in the church is the expectations that we put on each other. We have, and, and listen, I have pastors too. I have people that, that shepherd me, right? And so I'm in the same boat with, with you on this. I'm with you on this. But we have some seriously unrealistic expectations on our pastors in ministry today. Some really unrealistic expectations. Well, pastor, that's really self-serving. No, 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 no. I do the same thing. I text Rick Koshner and he doesn't text me back within two hours. I'm like, what did I do to Rick? 
He doesn't email me back in a timely manner. Did I make you upset? Did I make you angry? It's okay, Rick, I'm over it. Right? How dare he say that, right? I, I have the same unrealistic expectations on some of the people that, that shepherd me as well. And, and here's the reality too. In the same way that we do that, most pastors have some seriously unrealistic expectations on the people that fill their pews every Sunday. Well, you should just be in church. Are you kidding me? You were tired? You think I'm tired? Come on now. Get to church. Right? You see how unrealistic that is? So we do it to each other. Right? We do it to each other. And it's like we're, it's like we're coming to church and we're plaguing God for each other. Well, let me tell you something. God doesn't need a cheap imitation of Himself. He created you to be you. And love Him. Right? And love Him. There's a balance between the purpose that we're created for and power. The power of God that's the energy for it all. As He says, there works in you. Number two, there's a balance. There must be a balance between attitude and action. There must be a balance between attitude and action. So he says there, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. So I want you to get all of this. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There must be a balance between attitude and action. And to accomplish this, just like in, in, in verses 1-11, through 11, and specifically in verse 3, where Paul gave a positive and a negative and a transformation, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, right? There's the transformation. Count others more significant than yourselves. There's the positive. It, to illustrate this in verses 14 and 15, he gives us a positive and negative. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. What Paul, what Paul is saying at, what, what Paul, Paul is getting at here is that we need to watch our attitude. Paul's saying we need to watch our attitude, right? And one of the things we usually do when we're alone and we have a bad attitude is grumble. The question I want to ask you this morning, don't, 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 don't respond, that's for a small group, okay? Circles are better than rows. Are you a grumbler? Are you a grumbler? Grumbling is usually uh, not out loud. It's usually a low tone, negative, complaining, whining. And the one thing it will do for sure is steal your joy. But for some of us, it comes naturally. The difficulty is that for some of us, grumbling becomes naturally. We try to resist it, but the, the other thing is that grumblers are contagious. Just pass it around, just pass it around, just pass it around. Grumblers can find something wrong with everything at once. And when they find it, that's what they focus on. So that's the negative. Right? That's the negative. And then he gets to the positive. No need to shout or scream. No need for drama. Just shine. 
The negative he gives here is, is do all things without grumbling or disputing. Stop it. That comes from playing that comparison game. Work out your own salvation, right? For it is God who works in you for his glory, for his pleasure, for his will, for his purpose. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and generation among whom positive you shine as lights in the world. God's called us to shine, not grumble. God's called us to be ambassadors. Him making His appeal to the world through us. Not dispute. Not dispute. Not dispute. One thing that I've seen all throughout Scripture, we see it in the life of Moses, we see it in the life of David, the apostles and others, is that God is far more interested in the workman than He is the work. God is far more interested in the workman than He is the work. I've heard this said before. Too many of us obey God only because of the pressure on the outside and not the power on the inside. You know where that comes from? Comparison. Disputing. <clears throat> Trying to one-up each other. Trying to get seen. Trying to be noticed for doing. Too many of us obey God only because of the pressure on the outside and not the power on the inside. Look at verse 16. Holding fast to the Word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. The power that works within us is God's Holy Spirit. And He gives us three tools there. He gives us His Word. He gives us prayer. He gives us suffering that we would identify with Him to grow. But there's got to be a balance between purpose and power. And there's got to be a balance between attitude and action. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then lastly, there must be a balance between being serious and being joyful. There's got to be a balance between being serious and being joyful. And here, here's the irony in this before we, before we keep going here. Before we keep going here, the irony of this point, that, that, that there's got to be a balance between being serious and being joyful. Serious probably isn't the perfect word there, but for lack of a better term, right? The irony is that, is that we have the most serious message out there. I mean, we, we, talked about it, we talked about it last week. I mean, really, what, what we hang in the balance of is, is the difference. And what, 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 what we see every Sunday morning walking in here is the difference between hopeless and hopeful. That's the most serious message that there is in the world. And so the irony is, is that we have the most serious message in the world, but the balance is the, is the balance between being serious and being joyful. So what's Paul talking about here? This is an amazing word picture. Paul says we're being poured out as a drink offering. I want you to think about that for just a second. Back in this day, unbelievers had a tradition to please their gods, to gain favor with the gods that they served. And here was their tradition. Every meal, there were two glasses of wine. Okay? Now this sounds like a real waste to some of us. 
but here's their tradition, right? Before the meal, take one glass of wine, pour it on the ground. Eat their meal, take the other glass of wine, pour it on the ground. Right? All in the, in the purpose, all in the purpose to honor the God that they worship, to gain favor with their gods, to take, a, to, to take a glass of wine, pour it out, eat their meal, take another glass of wine, and pour it out. And Paul speaks here of the possibility of being poured out as a drink offering, because remember where Paul is. Paul is in prison. He's chained to the Praetorian guards, right? And, and he says in chapter 1, don't feel sorry for me because of my situation. God is using me for His glory. But, here's the reality, church at Philippi, I may not make it out of here. I may not walk out of this prison. I may, this may be the end for me. Because I'm facing execution at any moment here. At any moment. This is it for me. Right? Sounds pretty serious. Like that's, that's as serious as you can get in life. Right? I'm facing life and death here. The, the, the reality that I may come and see you again. Like I long to see you. I'm facing the reality that I want to see you. But the reality is I may not walk out of here. Pretty serious. But what does Paul say? I'm being poured out like a drink offering of your faith but I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Why? How can Paul say that? The difference between hopeful and hopeless. Hopeful and hopeless. He says, rejoice in the same way because nothing can steal the joy of the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I can't help but think that changes the perspective of bad days. Doesn't it? That changes the perspective of, man, I'm trying to keep all these plates spinning. I'm trying to keep all these things spinning. I'm trying to keep all these things spinning. But man, when I think about hopeful versus hopeless, when I think about what Paul is dealing with here, when I think about the reality of all of that, if a couple of plates drop, whew, that's no big deal. There's still joy. Probably means they should have dropped a long time ago. So why am I saying this? There's a balance between seriousness and having fun. I, I, was, I was hanging out at the, the casserole auction last night and I don't remember who I was talking to. Oh yes I do, but I'll keep them nameless. And I was, I was, it was, we were kind of running out of time and uh, I think, and, and it was the silent auction and I was making sure I still had the blueberry muffins. And I did. And I had one for breakfast this morning, and they were amazing. Where was I? Oh yeah, and I was talking, and, and, and I, made a, I made a joke 
with someone and I said, you know, you know I'm joking, right? Because we're, st- we're still kind of getting to know each other. And uh, it was like, you know I'm joking. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know only to take you serious when you're preaching. <laughs> Not sure how I felt about that. But, no, it was good. Right? There's a time to be serious. But one of the things that Kristen and I, and maybe a couple of people close to me, one of the things that, that I've asked for prayer about quite a bit lately, because I've told you I've been working on this vulnerability thing, so here we go, is, is, this, is this question, how does Travis, me, have fun? It's kind of a crazy question, right? Because you probably sit there and you're thinking like, man, this is how I have fun. You've got to live a little bit. You've got to hang out with me. Well, listen, your idea of fun may not be my idea of fun, okay? But, but we're, we're trying to really discover and rediscover, how does Travis have fun? How does Travis experience joy? I can tell you one thing I've learned this past week is that when I take my little boy, who's almost three years old, he's going to be three in June, when I take my little boy and I throw him in the air, right, that, that face of fear mixed with fun on both extremes in the midair, that is fun for me. Like, that, that, seeing that look on his face when he's airborne, like, is daddy going to catch me? He's never dropped me. This is amazing. I'm free. I can fly. I'm Spider-Man. Like, like that, that experience that I see all over his face, that is joy for me. I will never let that plate fall. Right? Ever. Right? take my wife Friday night bowling and I beat, I mean, and we, and we have fun and, uh, sorry. And, uh, you know, we're, we're enjoying each other go drive home right into the night. We're just talking about life and talking about you and how much we love you and how much we love what God's doing here and how awesome this thing is. And we just talk about where God's brought us and we're just talking, man, that is a plate I never want to fall. Right? And God's just saying, man, just keep me in the center of every plate. Keep me in the center of every plate, and I'll keep them spinning. You just walk with me. You just enjoy me. So I believe what Paul is saying here is find joy. Find the joy in life. Every day. My challenge to you today, it may not sound spiritual, but it could be the most spiritual thing you do this week, is find something to laugh about every day. For Kristen, my wife, it was really easy. She's got me in her life. (laughs) For others of us, it's a little harder. Find something to laugh about every day. Take a walk. Have a conversation with somebody that's life-giving. Eat a piece of blueberry pie. Do something to give you life every day. And then look at God and say, thank you for that gift of life. Thank you for that gift of joy. Take a day off. Watch a movie. Play a ground of golf. Oh man, I can't wait. Do something to give yourself permission to enjoy the day that God's given you. Because there's a promise to believe. And what's the promise? That joy comes from being, not doing.
Joy comes from being, not doing. To bring this full circle, so many of us are trying to do these plates spinning instead of being present in them all. The biggest thing God's teaching me lately through a few people that are even in this room is that being is so much better than doing. Being is so much better than doing. When we stop trying to do all of these things, when we stop trying to do life, when we stop trying to do church, when we stop trying to do husbanding and do parenting and do this, and we start being the church, being a child of God, being a husband, being a father, that's where transformation takes place. That's where transformation happens. Joy comes when we stop doing and we start being. That's one of the biggest things I'm learning and I invite you to learn alongside of me how to be. How to be a child of God. How to be a church that's so consumed with what He's doing. How to do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's not easy. But God wants to be right at the heart of it and all of us. So that's my prayer for you. And that can be your prayer for me. Let's pray together. If you're sitting here this morning and you would say,